The winemakers are up next, but first, check out this other great show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Destination Eat Drink. I'm Brent Peterson. Each week on the podcast, we visit a different foodie city and explore the cuisine that makes that place special, whether it be custard tarts in Lisbon, mango beer in Mumbai, or lizard curry in Guatemala. Download Destination Eat Drink today on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. Hey, welcome to the winemakers. This is Brian Casey with... Bart Hansen and Sam Couture, John Kerr, John Myers out on assignment. We got to do a, hold on, hold on, hold on. You guys will ramble on forever. Uh, that one, yeah. Here we go. We're going to get a nice little pour out of a, is that the Riesling? Yeah, that's the 19 Wiley. That is Cody Rasmussen, who you hear the voice. Beautiful pour. This is actually one of the few Desire Lines Rieslings today. I haven't tried it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> since you have the biggest because allocation of coal in the be- country. I was gonna say, wasn't it coal before? Was the was the riesling that you were getting? Yeah, we still have coal ranch, and this is a second site. Thank so you. coal was planted in 1973, and Wiley's in '76. Awesome. You go ahead and pass that down. Now, I will dump out this wine. Different climate, which is very cool. Uh, we got Reed Griggs with us in the house too today. How you doing, Reed? Good. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And uh, so the first thing I see, Cody, is. You've changed to the DM corks? Yeah, for all the whites mm. and for winds of change, too. Okay. Uh, winds of change mostly. Well, actually, that's kind of the wine we're hoping grows in distribution a little bit. Buy the glass, stuff like that. Right. And just didn't want to have to deal with cork. But if you're buying on the retail store shelf, it should be not corked. And DM's really great for that. And it's meant to drink a little earlier than the other wines and doesn't need quite as much oxygen. So DM seemed like a nice place for that. So since we kind of like um, in classic <laughs> skipped over the <laughs> winemakers podcast style, uh, I who the hell are you? Guys? I mean, I know who you guys are. Who the hell are you guys? And uh, what are you doing here? Um, great question. <laughs> stumped him. We got nothing. Um, so I've known Cody and Reed for a long time, sort of through the the, the bedrock universe, mm-hmm. um, for lack of a better term. Galaxy. Yeah. yeah, I think I think Chris would like if I said universe. Um, <laughs> and and so Cody, you are uh, the associate. Well, they the associate winemaker. They, they made up a name. Yeah, associate winemaker. How do they decide same job, that? Title. Same job, new title, same pay, probably. What's the difference? Give them a raise, Morgan. If you're listening, give them a raise. I know. What's the difference between yeah. assistant winemaker and associate winemaker? More paperwork, more emails, I think. Which you one? Tell the assistant winemaker <laughs> what to do. <laughs> more spreadsheeting, much to my pleasure. Okay. <laughs> Obviously, uh, someone above him gave something up, and uh, Cody took it on. <laughs> yeah. And then the question uh, is, did Cody give up anything, or did he just add it to Quite a list? bit, actually. So that's the real reason, is that Katie Rouse joined us recently as the assistant winemaker, one of Reed's friends. Uh, from Davis Class and came over from Crocker and Star previously a couple of places. She's Ooh. amazing. They also have, I know. Yeah, they have their own brand, Bird Horse. Bird Horse brand. Yeah. Her and her partner, yeah. Korean, who's now at Scribe as the assistant winemaker, I think. They're I think great. So. We're super glad to have her. A conversation. I, I, I started a email conversation with her yeah, about that's getting right. her on the show. And yep. 
uh, it ended. So like many of these, they end for a little bit and then we get back around to them. So yep. if you're listening. No, they're amazing. The ones yeah, are great, too. Great. She probably got the job at Bedrock and all the work that Morgan and Cody sent her way. <laughs> she didn't have time for us anymore. Uh, she's busy. <laughs> and then, uh, Reed, you know, I, um, you're, are you done with Davis? You were in the master's program at Davis. You were maybe doing some, like, pretty amazing research and stuff like that. Um but you're done. You're done there, and you're back in the world now. Or what's yeah what's going in, on? in the wine world? So, um, so I guess the the starting place is that uh, Morgan and Cody and Chris gave me my first internship in '16, right before I went to to grad school. Um, it's probably about the time that I met you. I'm thinking. Yeah, probably. I think that's right. You also are married to somebody who I've known since yes. middle school. <laughs> yeah, might have something. May have been also right. Um, but that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Well, and Reed, you were telling me earlier all the places that you've worked, which is a pretty impressive little list. It's quite the resume. Yeah, yeah, I've been I've been super lucky to have some some great experiences. So um, go ahead and just brag a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Name top. If there's big ones, we'll ding them. Oh, get ready, get ready to ding. (laughs) So yeah, so so after Bedrock, um, I did (laughs) did a viticulture internship at Ridge. Hello. And then I went to Harlan Estate and did a viticulture and winemaking internship. I'm going to break the glass. Thank Seriously. you for th- thoroughly embarrassing me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then I, and then I went to France and worked for Pierre Gonon in the vineyards. Incredible. Uh, I think I was their first American intern. Um, and then I was at Dalavale for a year. And now I'm working for Graham McDonald. Nookville. That's actually another one. we got to get the, the McDonald brothers. Oh, Graham here. and Alex are amazing. Oh, man. Yeah, they're yeah. fan- And just... I mean, the conversation alone about the battle over Tokelon is <laughs> oh, worth, multiple is worth yeah, like a yeah. whole series. It's a saga. Yeah, yeah totally. Uh, Story <laughs> needs to be told, so yeah, it'd be great. And you're you're working cellar side, vineyard side, a little of both. Yeah. So I, so from the beginning, I've I've really wanted to do both, even though of course at school they tell you you can't do that. Right. Um, and so I, I I've taken you know I had viticulture and more seller jobs and luckily I get I get to do both with Graham which is just amazing so he and I farm the vineyard and do all the tractor work and then I also get to do work in the cellar and he's consulting for a number of small cab projects um, in Napa and so I get to do all that as well and to fill in a little bit of the back the, the McDonald family owns a piece of the original Tokelon Vineyard, which is mm-hmm. Mondavi and and Opus One, you know, right in the heart of Oakville. And they have basically what the only remaining of the old vines of, of Tokelon. So there's cab that was planted yep. there in... 54. 54, I think. Wow, they think. Yeah. Um, and are also sort of at the... the David end of a David versus Goliath battle <laughs> over um, the name Tokelon and whether or not they can use it or if it's you know it's a place or is it a brand and yeah. that's, like I said it's a whole conversation but uh, if you are out there in the listening world and um, you know want a taste of like old school real Napa could find a bottle of the McDonald not Tokelon Tokelon <laughs> Cabernet yeah. uh, it's they're they're fantastic wines for sure the wines are are really special and and good to think about you know they're they're doing the work and it's a the real small family right. operation in Oakville which is not so common anymore right. so yeah, totally. yeah. very cool no they're incredibly thoughtful yes growers and winemakers 
They're good folks. And I know you said you were doing some bottling recently and also out in the vineyard here. We got, looks like I'm seeing a lot of erasion going on on mm-hmm. Instagram. A lot of people starting to post pictures of grapes turning colors. So how far away is harvest? What are we looking at? Contra Costa next week? Yeah, and then, uh, next week. August 5, we think, <laughs> which is back from July 28 initially. Uh, crops are really light out there. I mean, we're probably sitting under two tons to the acre, like across the varieties, even Carignan, which is really unusual. But yeah, I think we'll see things speed up quite a bit in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. For sure, the first week in August. Get new tires on your car. Just tell me about it. Yeah. Get your oil changed. <laughs> yeah. Get your house cleaned. Yeah. Say goodbye to your wife. Say goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Love you. New washing machine for kiss, your jeans. Kiss your kids on the head. We'll see you when you're shaving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what are we drinking first here? Uh, this is our wine. So this is the Desire Lines uh, Riesling from Wiley Vineyard in the deep end of Anderson Valley from 2019. The deep end. It's the first year we got the fruit in unusual fashion, it takes us a while to make a label because we draw the whole thing. It always shows the vineyard, and that takes at least a year. Um, so usually if we like the wine and thinks it stands alone, we'll put it on the experimental series for a year. Uh, and the Wiley was super cool. Because you definitely had, you have the experimental series labels ready to go. Mm-hmm. Basically. Because uh, the only thing we have to switch for tooling, it's a digit print. So it's quick. Nice. And then the idea is that, like, it's a picture of the dream seller. So there's always a little bit more of our imprint maybe on those wines. And not their blends or something else we tried. Single barrel at some point. Whereas, ideally, the single vineyards are indicative primarily of the place and the time. Okay, I got a super important question. This is labeled bottle number 517 out of 600. Uh-huh. So from my own limited personal experience, sometimes you can go a little bit up or a little bit down. Ideally down, legally. I, <laughs> <laughs> we were quite a bit down because of filtering. I think we were sitting 540 or 580, something like that. It was not much. So this is the end of the run barrels. here. Yeah, it's the, that's the library the last, wine. The last bottle. Okay. Right. You opened it for us. <laughs> yep. If you if if we like this wine and we talk about it, <laughs> people who listen don't get to try it you anymore. Cannot have it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I think terrible. Yeah. You wouldn't like it. Don't worry about it. Uh, yeah, you uh, have eighty three bottles available. <laughs> I think I have eighty three bottles Thank in you. my cellar. Yeah, yeah, but you wouldn't like it. We've had the hardest time finding of all the things Riesling, especially old Riesling in really interesting places, the cool climates, and Wiley and Cole are kind of the two. We've actually we're going to get Massa Vineyard this year which Ian farms down sort of on the south side of Carmel Valley that abuts up against, what's the name of that park huh. down there? Uh, Ventana will be. Yeah, that's right, yeah. So, so how is this vineyard different than Cole? Um, you call it in the in deep Anderson Valley. Can you and Cole is isn't really Anderson Valley. It's Cole. Yeah, exactly so can, right. Can you kind of talk about the differences a little bit? Yeah, so Cole Ranch is you know Boonville, which is as you're moving sort of driving towards the coast through Anderson Valley is the first town you come to. If you take a right at the brewery there and head over the pass, that takes you to Cole Ranch. Um, so it's a little bit more continental. It's that like as you drop in before you drop into Ukiah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Before Ukiah, um, it's only five miles from Ukiah, but it feels like it's a world apart. It's way up in the mountains. Very cold at night and in the shoulder seasons, very continental. So it does get a little bit warmer than Wiley too, uh, more diurnal. In other words, less marine influence. Uh, Cole's a little bit older, planted in 1973. It was purchased last year by Mike Lucia and his wife. They've done a fantastic job with the farming. Looks really good right now. Uh, and, and they have like a, they've like recreated, there's like a Cole Ranch brand that they're doing. Right? Yeah, I think they're about to roll that out, theoretically. Because uh, they've got a bunch of like Giron Savoie stuff that went into the ground. It looks really good. That I think they're going to brand a little bit differently, if I understand right. And then Wiley. So Wiley is in the deep, what they call the deep end, which is the farthest piece of Anderson Valley sort of towards the coast. 
uh, just before Navarre, it gets really, well, it's both moderate and cold and that it doesn't get usually above 65 typically, maybe 80 on like really, really big heat spikes, but it also usually doesn't drop below 45, say. Uh, we've got weather stations at both and it's really interesting. You can see as all of a sudden the temp drops at Wiley right around four or five, the humidity spikes. You can literally see the big bank of the marine layer roll in. It's imposing out there. It's quite the force. And is it at elevation or is it more, quote unquote, it's valley floor? Almost the valley floor. It's actually up on the first ridge. At that point, there's no valley. It looks down towards the valley. So it's a south and east exposure. It's beautiful. Um, kind of on the first ridge. Soils are probably similar up there. Franciscan, maybe a little bit more. Well, actually, coal probably has more clay, frankly, because even though it's way up in the mountains, it's right on the valley floor. Uh, both are dry farmed. Wiley's own rooted coal ranches on St. George. Mm -hmm. Pretty sure I have that right. Don't and me. sort of an odd question, like what would be the price difference per ton of coal and Wiley? And in general, like what is what are Riesling prices, good Riesling prices like in California as like compared to like a Chardonnay or Sauvignon Blanc? That's a really good question. There's not many data points because there's so little Riesling and especially good Riesling. Probably... 50% of Chardonnay, I guess, roughly, wow. outside of the high end. I mean, I'd be surprised if there's Riesling in California that goes above 3K because Smith Madrone and Stony Hill don't sell any. Right. We're usually 2,000 to 2,500 a ton. I'm sure you can get it cheaper in Monterey. And Chardonnay, I think, is more like, I don't know, you would know better, Sam. Three or four? Yeah, I mean, average prices. Depending right? on where it's at. Yeah, I'm just curious about the market out there as, as someone who has to sell wine. Sure. Like, um, what it's like selling Riesling. I know, um, I think, um, you know, people, at least where I work, typically drink the normal varietals. But I love Riesling, and I love supporting local Riesling as, yeah. as opposed to getting imported stuff. But it's, I don't know, I, I feel like it's on the rise, and especially with places like coal when you when people actually get to try what what it can be like here um i hope so it has a long history in california too which has been kind yeah. of the fun part of diving back into that because it was first planted in the 1850s actually probably in sonoma first um which is not surprising with harass the and an emile dresser which i think own gun bun is that right um and then quite a bit of it down south at lafranc and charles you know, francis stocks nursery in san jose and then really took off in the 60s and 70s. Um, and there, there, was, there was Riesling at the Rossi Ranch. Yeah, that's um, right. Really? Yep. The, the story that we tell anyway around here is that my parents met picking... They, well, they met, you know, they <laughs> met picking grapes at the Rossi Ranch. Um, but they say it was like they got sent off to a block of something that was dying and there wasn't anything to pick. And I, I think huh. it was... It was the Riesling, like, yeah. down, you know, below what, you know, the barn that used to be the winery down towards the yeah. creek. Yeah, they yeah. had They had Riesling there that, that was planted sense. in mm. 1910. Oh, um, wow, that's wild. None of, none of it survives, but... Um, that's there amazing. Was, there was, yeah, the Riesling was, it was everywhere. Yeah. Um, you know, the th thing, I, we actually just had this conversation with uh, the new guys working in the tasting room. We opened, um, I, I told you about this mm -hmm. the other day, uh, <laughs> we do Salumi Saturdays in, for the staff in the tasting room, so I go and I pull a bottle out of the cellar and I get some Ovello and we you know, just have a little like, you know, it's an informal kind of tasting session. Um, 
and I opened a, a bottle of Desire Lines, and I opened a bottle of Joseph Prum, and I was going, ah, this is really an unfair <laughs> thing to do to Cody. Uh, turns out it was an unfair <laughs> thing to do to the Prum. Oh, um, man. Nice. Uh, awesome. It's ridiculous and very sweet. Yeah. No, I'm, uh, I, was, I was really <laughs> like, oh, look, this isn't fair, but uh, yours stood out. It was a 16 cold Yeah, that's the first year. Um, yep. it was probably, I shouldn't have opened it. It was probably the last bottle. <laughs> um, but he turns to me and he goes, I've, I've never had reason that wasn't sweet. Right. And yep. and I think that that's like, you know, what people think of with, with Riesling is they yep. expect sweet wine. They expect maybe as a dessert wine or something like that. Um, but obviously, you know, talk about sort of Riesling not as sweet wine and break, help us sort of like break that yeah, stereotype totally. a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, That's what I was going to say is that interesting thing is in going back to the history, like in the past 50 years, the two folks that have probably done the most for Riesling for sure would be Stony Hill. And they have the oldest vine lefts planted in 1948, I think. And then actually, oddly, Lee Stewart at Souverain made a Riesling that sounds like it took off in like 68 and became pretty widely known. And they were both um, super firm on a little bit of RS in the Riesling, but not too much. And for both of them, it was actually about what they called the bouquet. They felt like between like five and 10 grams. Mike Cellini, I've heard, was like eight and a half on average. Uh, they thought that a little bit of residual sugar in the wine would help to basically release the aroma sooner and if you fermented too dry down to zero one two it was really locked down tight for like five to ten years and i've seen that in a couple of different sources which is really interesting because that's kind of the way we feel too we've gone down to three grams on the 18 coal and then the 20 coal is four but aside from that we usually sit three to six three to seven something like that and part of that is to help balance in the case of wiley the acidity which is really, it's like 7TA, 2.9, 3.0 pH typically. Uh, Cole Ranch has really similar acid numbers, but it's also more phenolic sites. The sugar also helps to balance that and take the edge off a little bit. But honestly, like as we blend those from barrel and even when we do the bedrock Cole Ranches, a lot of times, even if we're blending the exact same wine, a little bit more sugar will help to like somehow amplify the nose. It's the craziest thing we do in the winery. It doesn't make sense, and it happens every time. Right. That, that block out in front of Kenwood when I started there was planted to Johannesburg recently. Oh, yeah. And they would, it was a, you know, slightly sweet um, Riesling. And then they always would try to make a betridicize, you know, save some yep. rows and stuff. And and had success a number of years. Um, but, uh, yeah, and but it was always, there was always playing with the sugar. Because in that case, I think we used to ferment it to a point where we stopped it. But then mm-hmm. it would either keep ticking along. <laughs> And yep. we'd ultimately start adding some some concentrate concentrate to it to get it to where we wanted. Yep. And that was always the disagreement was how much. Right. Yeah, I guess in the early '70s, I think Wenty and I'm forgetting the other one both made a, like a really sweet style, like a TBA that somebody scored pretty highly, and everybody in California decided they also wanted to make sweet wine. Um, and it sounds like a lot of people had trouble hitting that sugar mark while retaining acidity and stopping it. And you ended up with a bunch of wines in the middle that were like 10 to 12% alcohol, 50 grams RS, sort of like this odd middle ground that a lot of consumers didn't like. Well, that's the thing. You know, you taste these wines, yours especially, if you had five, six, seven grams of residual sugar in anything else, mm-hmm. oh, it would taste sweet. So sweet, right. yeah. And this, you know, it's it's not, they're not sweet wines. Mm-hmm. No. You know, yeah, yeah. maybe there's a little bit of sweetness a little fruitiness but uh, there's so much so much acidity that got 
Yeah, you're probably right. I would probably wouldn't be drinking these for 15 years. The dry ones if, are really yeah. austere and yeah. acerbic. We usually have a couple barrels that'll stop at different points and we'll blend at the end. Even in Germany, like I, a, I would take a bottle of like, something <laughs> that was totally dry and lay it down for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. cool. That'd be super cool. The Wiley that we just drank is the closest we've gotten. It's definitely the like tightest and driest for sure. In Germany, their definition of dry or trocken is it has to be less than nine grams residual, so long as the titratable is no more than two grams per liter less. <laughs> so in other words, if it is nine grams RS, it has to be seven or more TA. Okay. So or if it's four or five, the same, exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah. So it should be dry tasting, but they definitely understand that like dry tasting is not dry analytically. Right. right. And we've kind of tried to end up in that like sort of we always call our wines like GG style trokin. Yeah. And that's how I've started. So I started selling Gewurztraminer, Riesling, Viognier, even Chenin Blanc to to, to some extent as aromatic wines is mm-hmm. kind of the way I. The what is how I sell them to people is like you know they're like oh, they're kind of burnt out on Chardonnay or something. I'm like try something that's an aromatic wine, and and even though your nose sometimes fucks with your palate is like you might think it's gonna be sweet, For but sure. it's it's actually fermented dry. But because your nose is smelling white flowers, peach, apricot, honeysuckle, night blooming jasmine, like all those things kind of mess with your palate. And so your brain is telling you this is sweet, but in actuality, then all of a sudden you start salivating. I'm like, so you can see it's actually a dry <laughs> wine, but and such great food wines. This to me is like, oh, they're like so fun have, with food. Oh my god, we have Brussels sprouts, fried Brussels sprouts on the menu. It's got a little spicy sauce to it. Where this is just, it's like the perfect wine. So then the next wine we're drinking is actually the it's a Shiner. I'm excited. Yeah, 2020 Wiley. We're waiting on the drawing. Because <laughs> it'll now be a vineyard designate for us. Uh, the difference, and this is interesting, so there's a couple. We fermented this a little colder um, at like 62 rather than 70. The 19 ripped through fermentation in barrel. So the 20 we kept up in stainless and fermented, not cold, but cool, to try and keep a little bit of the floral stuff on the nose. Put down to barrel, same thing, 10 months in barrel. But this is actually 6 or 7 grams RS, if I remember right. It's a little higher, and it's way more perfumed yeah, than the 19. Say, Some of that's the cold ferment, but most of it's the sugar, actually. Yeah, the aromatics are just popping out of the yep. uh, the glass, where the other one it was a little more subdued. Yep. yep. Almost a little mandarin orange on the Wiley, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, yeah. Maybe it tastes marginally sweeter. Yep. But sure. I don't think you pour this for anybody and say, oh, that's a sweet wine. You know? And what was your fascination with Riesling? Why did you decide that had to be a part of your portfolio? Couldn't get away from it. Is that what, is that what Morgan let you have? Weirdly. <laughs> I got one ton of this. No, we went out and found coal, but it was actually what I drank a lot in college. Because um, I huh. didn't drink at all up until college. And for whatever reason, in Williamstown, they must have been served by a really good, like, um, Skernick and Rudy Vist rep because right. there was a lot of really good Riesling at the otherwise like kind of podunk liquor store in town yeah. and it was perfect especially like coming from Iowa like I always joke like growing up drinking Mountain Dew Riesling was like the perfect <laughs> gateway, <laughs> drug. gateway drug yeah. <laughs> Mountain Dew uh, has uh, 7 million grams yeah, residual yeah, yeah, sugar for sure. <laughs> <laughs> like 2.6 pH or whatever yeah. and your teeth your t- teeth got through mm-hmm. the uh, Mountain Dew oh, what teeth gosh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but no, I just always loved it and didn't think we'd ever make it because California is not particularly well known for especially yeah. cool climate Riesling. Yeah. Um, but weirdly, I had a coal ranch in 2011 that I thought was really quite good. And then I think I've told the story before. Was that 
Oh, I forget their name. It was the owner at the time. They used to have a tasting room outside of Healdsburg on oh, West Dry yeah. Creek. The Sterlings. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. they poured it with Cheetos in the tasting room. It really, like, kind of worked. I like Cheetos. But it stuck in my brain. Yeah. And then I saw in the newspaper in 16 that the fruit was available. And Em and I literally drove up on my one day off, like, trying to scope out picking bins in the vineyard to see who was taking it. There was nothing up there. And we tied, like, our lunch sack to the gate with a note on it. And it was like, hey, nice fruit. Can we get some? Here's my number. <laughs> so cool. Nice vineyard. Shame if something happened to it. Yeah, exactly. And got a call the next day. So I don't, I've just always liked Riesling and kind of fell into it. And it's the one wine we can't make enough of, honestly. Well, Shocking. So I swore I'd drink it all myself. I didn't think we'd sell a drop. And it's yeah. we can't make enough. It sells out every time. Wow. It's awesome. It's great. It's so fun. I love it. I do my part. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it. <laughs> Sounds like it, Sam. You are a good supporter of the wine business, Sam. That's for sure. Or, or at least Phil's credit card is. Yeah. <laughs> American Express is a great supporter of the wine business. <laughs> so somebody's got to pay that bill, though. I ran into Laura Brennan uh, Bissell. Remember her? She mm-hmm. from Inkanu. She was staying at the hotel last week. Uh, she was down here doing some bottling, and she said she was going to plant some racing up in Washington. Yeah, cool. Oh, cool. Yeah, there's quite a bit up there. Magellan yeah. does really well, too. Yeah, she just bought like seven acres or something. Um, so she's looking at what she's going to plant up there. And Riesling was first it's, first thing on the list. Weirdly, it's a really great grape, especially for a changing climate. Like, it retains acidity really well. Whites, we found out, are really resilient to any sort of smoke exposure. It buds late. It ripens late. It's just like, it's kind of perfect in California in a lot of spots. Ryan Sturm talks a lot about this. Mm-hmm. And his wines are super lovely. He makes a lot of Riesling. But mm. I like it. I would happily plant it if I could find a place. There's there's like some white tannins going on in this mm-hmm. wine too. Yeah, it's also a fairly phenolic variety. Like that's one of the harder things to manage, is the phenolics getting it to the press and then through the press because it can get really furry really quickly on the palate. Yeah. Hmm. Furry. Yeah, we make pretty generous press cuts. We'll cut it to like one o term. Furry on the palate is uh, <laughs> maybe something that's. <laughs> been used to describe me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, amazing. Going back again, it's a familial yeah. thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's what they called me in college. Furry. Furry on the, the, girl, the, the girls <laughs> called him that. <laughs> That's the difference between Iowa and uh, Reno, maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We weren't getting any uh, good Riesling in, in Reno, let's put it that way. <laughs> good day. I'm not spitting so far. <laughs> Drinking it all. There's, a, there's an empty spit cup over here. Yeah. <laughs> You're not working today, then. Good sign. No, no. No, thankfully. All right, what do we got next on the list here? So I, I, I want Graham to talk a little bit about your... Um, your, your I mean, Reed. Reed. Yes, Reed to talk about your research in uh, soil um, life. Uh, can you, can you... Is this the video you were playing earlier? No, 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 okay. no. That was... <laughs> video that shall not be named. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't even a video. Well, it was a video. It was more of a, like a slideshow. But yeah, you, you yeah. were the... Uh, narrator. You, you were the narrator. Yeah. Yeah, very good. Um, um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to talk about that stuff. Um, I mean, we can we can pour another wine and certainly talk about that. Wait, what's, um, yeah, what's next on the list? Let's pour and talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your cab? To... You want to do your Syrahs or your cab first? Um, or do you want to do the, the, the wins first? Sure. Let's do the wins. Yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, you guys know these wines better than we do, so what do you think, like, 
Let's jump into your so watchers for a bit. Cool. So this was just just bottled a week ago. This is my 19 Moon Ridge okay. um, from Corbin's place that Enterprise Farms. Um, what? And what, sorry to interrupt. No, no, no. What's Corbin up to up there? Playing is, apple trees. <laughs> what's Corbin not up to? Cooking food. No, I'm wondering, is there a house up there? Oh, well. Because last time I was up there was like a, I was sitting yeah, on top so, of a trailer. So the house burned down in 17. Yeah. And then they've been rebuilding the house for a while. And because um, I was wondering some, how they were contractor gonna, issues. And basically, well, how do you get shit up there? Is what I was wondering. Oh, the driveway's yeah, crazy. Slowly. Big hassle. Yeah. Uh, the only thing, I was Carefully. thinking like by helicopter is the only way you could get stuff dropped off. Very uh, skilled I, drivers. I know that both Corbin and uh, Mac McQuown across the street at Silver Cloud Stone Edge Farm um, have explored the differences in flying things up from a hel- with a helicopter from the <laughs> Yeah, for sure. It doesn't really pencil out. I mean, it, it you know, it's very certainly cool, makes for better Instagram footage, but... Um, it is, it, you know, it's, it's tough. It definitely, you know, anything you do at the top of that mountain, whether it's growing grapes or making wine or building a house or just trying to get home at the end of the night is more difficult and more expensive. Yeah. Because I'm, sure, I'm sure Corbin, well, you know. Yeah. You lived at the top yeah, of the yeah. mountain. You know, every, every Uber drive is a lot more to get up there than anywhere else. Um, yeah. But they are rebuilding the house. They are rebuilding mm-hmm. the house. Yep. Okay. It, it should be... Done. I haven't been up there. In, I think they're starting interior soon. Six, eight if not, so they should last be done week. pretty soon. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, after they ran into some issues with the contractor, um, friend of the program Maureen Cottingham, uh-huh. uh, now the greatest avocado farmer in Ventura County. Um, <laughs> her her husband Adam is a contractor. Yep. He took over the job and has been like basically you know couch surfing during the week to build the house and then going down they just had a baby and she's right. you know Maureen yeah. is Maureen and, and the now three kids are in are in Ventura and she's taking over the family avocado farm so he's you know I know that Adam is uh, unlike maybe the previous contractor motivated to get the job done <laughs> right. in a, yeah. as quickly as he possible he the bedrock right. tasting room too oh that's right yeah yeah, yeah totally. he's great yeah Adam is a he's a bro sh- shout out to Mr. Cottingham yep Okay, so now we got the backstory on Corbin. Right, so and those of you that with Corbin, he has to put a cage around his dog's head because it's so susceptible to foxtails up there. Oh, no. So I don't know that's yeah. like, that is all consuming. I think. Curious or not, too. Yeah, wildlife She's up there. Crazy. And those of you that listen to the program, you know Danny Faye is um, climbing around in the vineyard up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. One of our last pre-COVID tasting podcasts before we was gathered was was. Was Danny and Katie and Corbin? Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah, cool. yeah. yeah. We'll have to and to Dan and Danielle now too. I think is that right? Yeah, yeah we've got Dan yeah. and Danielle. Yeah, they get a little bit of the fruit. Basically, if your name is Dan, <laughs> you can get on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. You're here with Dan Cody and Dan Reed. <laughs> you know what, Sam? That's 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 not going to work. Uh, All right, Reed. Now, sorry. Now we got the no, backstory no, no. on the on the okay. vineyard up there. But for, for those of you that have not been up there, it's literally like the top of the hill that you can either look down the other side or look down our side. I mean, it's like very top. Yeah, I think it's the highest vineyard in, in Moon Mountain, ABA. Uh, I think that's probably right. It's got to be, gotta be close. Or, or Hannah? Maybe the top of no. Kistler, but I think Corbin's is quite a bit higher. Corbin's definitely higher, higher than, yeah. than, than Kistler. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it does, you know, Corbin's, Corbin has Napa Cabernet uh, because the very top right. of the mountain... 
Yeah, the, the way that the county lines in Sonoma, separate Sonoma and Napa is basically if a drop of water flows into Sonoma Creek, it's Sonoma County. If it mm-hmm. flows into the Napa River, it's Napa County. And so his property goes over the ridge, and, and so he's got a block that he can sell for more. <laughs> huh. Interesting. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and and which block do you get your fruit from? This does not come from that block. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> comes from the the bottom of the hill. Um, yeah, I'm I'm super stoked to get a very little bit of this fruit from Corbin. Um, and yeah, you guys are pretty much the first people tasting this. This was just bottled last mm-hmm. last week. So, so what's the label? What's yeah. The, so. What's, Sell some wine. So you're on the mailing list here. Oh, yeah. Thank you for signing up. Oh, yeah. was that that thing that I signed up for yeah. that I didn't know what I was signing up for the other day? <laughs> yeah, thank you. Oh. And give us give us a web address, Chris, too. Chris got so me on that for sure. It's awesome. Okay. Yeah, thank you, Chris Cottrell. Yeah, give uh, them, if um, I had known, I would have never signed up. <laughs> <laughs> give, uh, give people somewhere to go to purchase the wine so they can do it while you're talking. Yeah, cool. So so tidingswine.com is is the site and there's a mailing list sign up there. And you're going to have to spell it for, you know, is it tight T I G H T? Is so it T I D? Is it <laughs> no. you know, tiding so T I D I N G S. And the name came from So it's supposed to be just be like the message uh, from each place. Good tidings. Year. Yeah, exactly, same okay. idea. Mm-hmm. It's, okay. it's the news from that vineyard that year. Right. The tidings. It's very cool. It's good. Um, and, and, it was avail- and it was available. Yes. Most importantly. Most importantly. <laughs> I mean, the color on this is outrageous. Yeah, yeah thanks. Yeah, so, so this is what I've been doing on my Ooh. nights and weekends um, at Bedrock. And essentially trying to make what I, what I like to drink, so wines that are about freshness and subtlety. Um, so this is a little unusual for Cabernet in that there's no new oak on it. Um, a little bit of, of boots second fill, and then it was raised in large format and then back to a little bit of uh, second fill tear. And so for a, about a 20 month elevage. And this is a 2019. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was the one wine you made in 19. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, and, and previous to that, I'd been experimenting a little bit. Morgan and Chris are nice enough to let me let me make wines there, so I've been trying to learn by doing, and uh, yeah, I'm really proud of proud of this one. I'm excited to share it. It's, it's great. It's, it's interesting. It, it aromatically jumps out of the glasses, like yeah. quintessentially Moon Mountain District mm-hmm. Cabernet. Mm, awesome. Um, and then, you know, has much brighter you know subtle fresh fruit uh, especially like that mid palate it's got all the mid palate texture and, and expressiveness but um but it, you know it's the site and it's also the, the winemaking that kind of lets this um it's it's hmm. fresh and bright yeah, yeah. pomegranate yeah. yeah pomegranate yeah, yeah. for sure i mean the fr- when you said you know make wines that are fresh i mean this is there's no doubt that that this is that you've hit your goal at least um, in the first vintage, you know. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah. Well, seeing Reed make this wine too is like I've picked your brain on a lot of stuff and changed the way we make Cabernet too. It's been super influential, like racking to soften tan and then polish and bring out not secondary flavors, but like push the nose along and bring out complexity. It's been really cool. It worked really well. Wait, will you, so, expl- so will you, sorry, will you explain that a little bit? Yeah. And, and then yeah. can you also speak to how many times you racked it? Sure. Because, yeah. you know, th- yeah. that's, uh, Every, everybody does a little bit differently for different yep. reasons. We'd love to hear your thoughts on right. that. Yeah, absolutely. Right. 
So I've been learning a lot, a lot from Graham really about about racking. Um, we do everything just based on not on a schedule, but based on on taste and, and smell. And um, so for this wine, I it was on skins for 23 days. About um, I did some pump overs at like peak fermentation for for oxygen, really for yeast health, and then. Uh, let it let it cool naturally and did more punch downs, so more of like a maceration process. Um, and then we pressed, and the the press wine went right in with the rest to give it some some body because it's it, it is a light light bodied cabernet uh, com- compared to what most people are used to tasting. Um, and then and then yeah, uh, stirred a little bit through mallow and decided that the second fill boots was a little bit too much for me um <laughs> it, it is amazing how they they make that impact yeah you can still you know? smell it i yeah. think um and so so yeah then racked it into a 400 liter and a 225 um to try to try to just double down on making it tight and um fresh again um and move away from some of the oak, the oak that was getting picked up. And then a few months ago, I, was, I decided that actually I could use, <laughs> I could use a little more oak and wanted to rack again. Um, it's getting some, some reductive elements. And so racked it to tank full, full oxygen exposure, um, and then put it back down to the 400 liter and a second fill Terenso medium plus, mm-hmm. um, and then just before bottling two weeks ago, I racked it again oxidatively to give it a last breath of air before. And it's already actually oh, know that. tightening back down. Yeah, can, cool. We've, we've cool. opened a few over the last two weeks, and it's re- really fascinating to For see sure. the, the yeah. work. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it, it's still a very young wine. Sure. I mean, even at 19. And so at Kenwood, we would taste, you know, things monthly or, or every other month, and they were all racking decisions like we know we're going to rack it and is it going to be an oxidative or a you know non-oxidative and it was amazing how they would freshen them up um but they'd go back into barrels in a couple days and they'd already kind of go back to being what they were you know i mean as you said closing down right and Mm -hmm. then would usually open up again once they were in the barrels um so yeah it's fascinating um it's fascinating how the you know, the, the finished wine is a sum of all those changes and those decisions, you know, along that path. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I know for myself, I, I kind of started to go away from racking things because wanting to keep things fresh, okay. right? And, and different varieties, but, but I think that sometimes wine really does need that oxidative rack, um, even if it's not reduced, just to help kind of age it, help push it along the aging. Well, I think, um, you know, dealing with Moon Mountain District Cabernet, you know, top of the mountain, these volcanic soils, that block there, you know, it's, it's one of the few mountaintop places where we have frost protection. You have to, like, it's a little cold air pocket. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think going with this style, meaning no new oak, you know, slightly less, you know, lower on the, the ripeness continuum, um, then you know some of the neighbors would be um, that racking helped kind of soften some of those tannins a little bit and, and not soften them so much as to sort of 
round them, help them find themselves and, and form those bonds. Um, that, cause it's, you know, I'm, especially for those sites, I wouldn't necessarily gravitate towards that sort of what you sort of laid out philosophically as your winemaking style, but, you know, being more aggressive with the racking and the barrel changes. And I think sort of like helped walk a very fine line. Um, so it's interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it. Awesome. You, Thank you. You're on to something. Oh, thanks. No, seriously. Like I'm, you guys know what I drink most of the time. This is an amazing red wine. Like, and for it to be Cabernet and not be getting clobbered with oak and to be, like you said, fresh, like, and the acidity is great and the, the flavors are incredible. Like, I think. Well, you know, I think. Who, who am I to say where, where the industry is going? But for me, this is what I would prefer to drink. Right. And and I think the beautiful thank, thing thank about this yeah. wine is it's very varietal, right? I mean, there's there's no doubt what it is. I, and and now we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna pull a, a wine from Tokolon and talk about something completely different. But but for 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 Sonoma Moon Mountain Cab, this is amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah, I really appreciate it. It's great. One I love it. Bottles of Harlan that Reed got when he was working there, and right. have a completely different experience. <laughs> right. You got a couple of those laying yeah. around, right? Come one. Yeah. <laughs> one. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to open it for us. Fifth birthday. Yeah. <laughs> that, I mean, that was a low fill on the bottling line. Yeah. yeah. All, the, all those psalms over Napa that lie. Grab it while when, nobody's when, looking. When people ask, "Oh, what goes well with my trout or my?" Uh, right. um, no, this is actually this is this is a great food wine. Mm. Yeah. So well done. I thank you very much. Don't let anyone give you shit. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and and how? Uh, so this obviously is not available yet. Um, when do you foresee it being released, and how much are you going to charge for? Well, it? and oh, and sorry. Question. On top of that, was this the way you wanted it to be drank, or was it? Is it two years down the road that you're kind of thinking is your? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so I think it's showing really, really nicely now. It, it yeah. makes me think of the place, the vineyard. So that's the ultimate goal. Yeah. Um, we don't have all our ducks in a row with with labels and stuff. So I think it will end up being a year before right. before anyone can get it. But but I, a, I was gonna say, an email, like, what the hell is tidy? Sign up for this email list. Yeah, I'm gonna have to bother you before then to <laughs> remind you. Yeah. And gee, I you know you never hear those stories in the wine business, do you? Like, let's make the wine and get into bottles, and then do all the other stuff. Yep. I think the, the better the wine, the less likely it is to have a label ready. Bottling, <laughs> 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 at least that's what I keep telling myself. Just For capture sure. it. Just capture it. <laughs> do we have a glass fucking bottle. We'll worry about the other stuff. Yeah. Get it in there. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, thank you guys so much for for tasting so, it with me. It's fall, great. Fall twenty twenty two. Think look, so. Look for that tidings email. Hopefully, hopefully okay. spring. I'm hoping hoping okay. spring we can get it okay. out there. But. I appreciate your ambition. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I see off in the distance Bien Nacido on a yeah. So those are my wines from twenty twenty. If if we want to dive in, try Hell those yeah, next. Bare, how did you How did you get hooked up with Bien Nacido? Uh, Morgan Twain Peterson. Okay. Only <laughs> answer for that. They loaded 20 bins onto the back of the truck, and two of them ended up at Reed's house somehow. <laughs> yeah, in my garage. Yeah. No, uh, so I was 
you know, working on my little few rows up at Corbin's mm-hmm. place all year after work. And then, you know, unfortunately we had the, the mess of 2020, um, happen. And, and so I reached out to Morgan and, you know, I've always loved Syrah. I got to, got to work in the Northern Rhone, which is a really special experience. Um, and said I was looking for fruit and Morgan was kind enough to hook me up with some of this insane fruit. Uh, and so this is a hundred percent Syrah? hundred percent Syrah from okay. Bien Nacido. So it's a blend of Z and X blocks. Um, and I did about 25% whole cluster, similar, similar extraction to the, the Cabernet, uh, pump overs at peak fermentation for, for yeast health. And then I did do an extended maceration, which was frightening with the whole cluster, uh, forgot about that <laughs> yeah worked well am i making the right choice here <laughs> You're not yeah cause, well You're not what kind of right. amounts are we talking about you're talking about two a little over a ton okay yeah yeah so so if you fuck something up that's there it goes well yeah and i mean it's a huge well, it's huge not, honor it's not cheap fruit either for yeah. right you know no. right. yeah but a, a huge honor and and gift of you know for morgan to connect me and so and is is chris hamill still the vineyard manager for bienacito I actually don't know. We, we met someone named Nick. I think we he's still down there. Yeah. yeah, Nick is like the grower relations rep, but oh, also okay. is has been a winemaker okay. and a grower. He's super talented. Okay. And then talk a little bit about the winemaking on this. Um, please. Sorry. I'm no, no. comprehending this wine. So we did, um, like I said, a slightly extended maceration. I think it was 25 days. And then, actually, so this is actually just the free run. I couldn't decide if I wanted to incorporate the the press with the free run, so I kept a barrel separate. And then the other barrel has is about half press wine, but I both in neutral three hundred liters. Just about anybody in twenty twenty was oh, right. worried about a little worried about their yeah. the the press wine. Yeah, compared to the free run, you know what you were gonna. You didn't, you know, even even down there, I would imagine you weren't sure exactly what was going to get pressed out when you pressed those skins hard, you know? Yeah. At least that's, that's the way that we looked at a lot of things. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. For sure. Also, when I was when I was in France, I tried to visit as many people as I could and and went on, got to go on a visit to Jamais and... Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the great. Uh, excellent. Gonna, the benchmark. I have a bruise on my fingernail. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to stop saying anyone's name. <laughs> You keep dropping them, Stan. Yeah, I'll keep tinging them. So I was asking everyone if they if they do incorporate their press wine or not. So I had no idea. And uh, he said, if I ever think twice about it, then I exclude it. So that's that's kind of what I went with here. Um, unsure if I'll include it in the, in the finished wine, but... Uh, I, I do like how the free run free run is showing. So, and what, what kind of barrels is this in right now? It's in a neutral Kadar barrel, three hundred liter. Wait, the dead air of good wine. Uh-huh. Maybe like, it's like smells like Can't it's you can't like, talk into a microphone when the, a wine glass is on I your know, face? It's right? The, it's the pondering because, and I'm thinking like, where, how are you making these decisions like on your? oak regimen or maceration or like all this stuff this is all just based on your experience with working at all those other places and then saying 
okay, cool. This fruit seems like it would benefit from this. Yeah, and just trying to use my intuition. Yeah. Which is informed by all the all the awesome opportunities that I've had. Right. I mean, I think the the winemaking goal is the same here. It's fresh, right? It's not influenced by oak. It's not overly, uh, wasn't picked overly overripe. So, you know, this and the cab have the same thread through it. It's just two different varieties from two different places, right? Yeah. So that's that's definitely the goal, to make it taste like the place. It's so easy to say and so hard to do, right? And But how do you feel at this point? I mean, you've tried... <laughs> I don't know. Is it a song? Brian's coming up with the lyrics to the song. Um, I mean, how, how do you feel? You've, you've had wines from these blocks, and you, know, you don't have to name names, but how do you look at it as far as compared to other wines from different producers? Yeah, I think... I think it does taste like Bien Nacido. It's... Um, it's fresh. You have, you know, the, the white pepper. It smells closer to a Northern Rhone Syrah than a California Syrah, but it still has clear mm-hmm. sunshine influence to me. I think that, I mean, I love like the Piedrasasi wines from down there, really good, and a lot more like olive tapenade that that kind of mm-hmm. end of the spectrum. Right. Um, so I'm interested to see like where this goes over yeah. the next six months. But compared to the White Hawk, which is just a a valley away it it yeah i think i think they're interesting to taste next to each other because they each taste like their respective places well and then as we pour that and maybe you can talk a little bit about your your research and the soil and digging deep and and cool. talk about kind of like what wait are you one of those guys that digs down 20 feet with a tractor into the vineyard and and no i wish i wish i was that's <laughs> much cooler that's the dream job um is it really the d10 for sure keys to that Teasing. Oh, I'm like, dig I'm like, wait a minute. So fun. Cal, my, is that like would the, yeah, dig, my little two-year-old boy. Ten would foot be like. pits in the middle of fancy vineyards. Right, right. That is the dream job. <laughs> my brother does every day. Yeah, exactly. There you go. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so I did my my graduate work at UC Davis with Dave Mills on a, a topic called microbial terroir, which is this idea that. <laughs> That microbes are are different in vineyards uh, by by region and by variety. Um, so it's really a continuation of one of my predecessors in the lab's work, Nick Bokulich, who his his first few papers were in like 2013, 2014. And what he was doing is he was getting samples of must from vineyards from. Uh, the north coast and some some central coast vineyards too and looking at the microbiome of those vineyards and essentially showed that uh, the microbial communities on grapes are distinct by region by vineyard and also so actually so that's the strongest effect is by region which is exciting for for winemakers because it's like something that we know already right is that Wines from different places taste taste different, uh, but also he found that there was an effect of variety. So like Zinfandel from from three different regions is different than is is similar to each other, right? All the different Zinfandel vineyards are similar to each other and different than Cabernet from three different regions. 
So taking this a step further, he looked at another paper and did the same kind of thing. He wrote another paper and did the same kind of thing looking at musts and sequenced the microbial communities there and then looked at the aromatic profile of different wines and found that he could associate specific uh, metabolites with specific microbes that were regionally distinct. Wait, what are metabolites? So small molecules that are aromatic. Okay. That are the result of some microbial metabolism. Okay. So like et- et- alcohol is a metabolite of yeast in wine. Okay. So it's a really it's a nice way of saying bacterial poop. <laughs> right? Right. I mean yeah. basically that's what yeast is eating sugar and metabolizing sugar. Right. And then pooping out alcohol. Right. Okay. For the and CO two. CO two comes out unless you're making, you know, petting out of champagne. Um, but that's you know it all is meta- that's what we're like that's what we're so, looking for in so all of this right? the things that you like in wine are the result of microbes consuming something else and then pooping it out into your glass but I guess what I'm wondering wine is, 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 is bug poop is what you're <laughs> exactly <laughs> really could have the gist of like, thesis we have like a highly educated uh, Davis graduate and I just totally <laughs> brought, in, brought it all the way down it. to the bottom. And we just lost every vegan that ever drank wine. Um, but but our what you're saying so long is is what you're saying that perhaps that has more of an effect on the aromas and flavors of the wine than soil type. So, uh, I think that that's a hard thing to say. In uh, maybe in certain wines, right? Wines that are uh, defined by microbial processes, I would certainly say that, right? Um, maybe some like very low sulfur wines that are, if, if all you can smell is acetic acid, then that's more. Speaking of uh, taking things to the wines that are defined by microbial processes, is right. the nicest way I've ever heard of like anybody <laughs> describe natural wine. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Reed. Slash Sherry. Yeah, that's great. We should uh, hire But we him. can expect that <laughs> soil and all sorts of things, climate, cultural practices, would For all sure. inform the microbial community. So they're not right. necessarily yeah, so it's a s- separate from each other. Absolutely. They're interrelated. And I think, I think actually that there are certain components of wines that are maybe more defined by soil and, and environment. For instance, phenolics are created in response to, uh, you know, lack of soil water and sunlight um but then what you have in the finished wine is largely defined by the fermentation right how how hot you got it how hot the yeast got it so how much of that you bring out is certainly dependent on the microbial process right but is this is this like breaking news or is this something that people have known about before but just have never really done deep dive study on it's it's definitely an emerging field uh the the papers i referenced earlier came out in 2013 and 2014 and nick moved on um from davis and worked on biomedical research and is actually just getting back into this field uh started a lab in switzerland and he and i he he's been helping me uh publish chapters from my thesis mm-hmm. and we just published the first one a few few months ago i think mm-hmm. uh, and that one is essentially an it's called sources and assembly of microbial communities as a functional component of wine growing and so that it's essentially an argument that 
<laughs> Sam. Go ahead. No, no, That's Sam. a title? I'm Break not it even, down for us. I got, I got nothing. <laughs> I can't even... I can't even... That, that was a paragraph title. This is, this is why it took me a graduate amount of time to get a single undergraduate degree. <laughs> so, um, so, Reed, let me ask you this. So, when you talk about it being the microbes in the soil... Is this something that... Also the microbes in the must, right? Right, but, but let's start in the soil part of it first. Okay. Is this something that with cultural practices that um, you're going to change the microbes? I mean, you can do that, right? I mean, that's the hence of whether it's organic, biodynamic, or sustainable. I mean, um, uh, yeah, or Roundup. <laughs> yeah. Um, you can change it, and then can you find that? Can you, can you your research quantify that in the end product or is it or is it still tied up in the soils so there there has been some there have been people who have looked at the differences between management styles right but but those are very hard studies to do because the context of the vineyard is is different often they're looking at you know a vineyard that's a few miles away. That's that's sustainable. That's a few miles away from one that's biodynamic. So that's like a huge confounding variable. So so no one has done that very well. Um, but anything you do in the vineyard certainly impacts the, the the microbes on the fruit. I mean, if we think about the way we deal with powdery mildew, and extend that to the rest of the microbes on the on the vine, that's a similar thing is happening. You're, you're changing the structure of the microbial community. For better or worse, we, d we don't know, right? right. Um, yeah. yeah. But this is, I mean, this does get at, like, the heart of the marketing of 16600, say, and or enterprise vineyards, and that um, if you, or organic in general, mm -hmm. and that if you really are trying to unlock terroir, and whatever this sort of amorphous concept is, um, if it is not the happy, balanced ecosystem of what was naturally occurring in the microbial community, the structure of the microbial community, I'm adding that to my lexicon. Right. Um, it's going in the newsletter next week. Totally. Uh, <laughs> well, apparently it's fall because I got my fall bedrock release email <laughs> on July 20th this morning, So, I, which means... You 2020 fucks some shit up, man. When I read when I get the bedrock email about the up there, like, you know, it's like Christmas creep. Uh, when I get the email that their <laughs> fall release or their spring release is happening, that means, oh shit, I got to figure out what my fall release is going right. to be now. Happy uh, holidays. Happy Perfect. holidays. Calendar. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's like, it's fall? I mean, I, you know, I saw leaves falling off of uh, the Buckeyes today, so the, that's fall. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to get in so much trouble. Um, don't tell Emily. Um, <laughs> Not a word. <laughs> but point being that if there is, if if your farming practices are affecting the microbial community, then, so certainly you're getting terroir out of that. This is what this whole thing is getting towards, right? But if the microbial community is not the natural microbial community of that site because of however you're farming it, um, are you then getting the true expression of that vineyard? Are you truly, you know, getting what is happening in the soil into the wine glass, which is what we're all going for, right? right. And, and if the microbial community is, the structure of the microbial community is weak, if the microbes are, you know, if you're 
killing more than can survive based on what you're spraying out there, what you're spraying into the soil. If the soil is doesn't have a happy fungal life, are you really getting what's happening in the soil into the vine? Right, the, you know, and especially like we talk about volcanic soils, rocky vineyards that we farm on the top of the mountain. Those are not bound. Those those nutrients, those minerals are bound. The, the plant it doesn't have access to them until microbes and and fungus get in there and are breaking down the rocks, turning it into soil and things that the plant can actually absorb. So if you're not farming that way, if those things aren't happening in the soil, and you are then like feeding your plant with fertilizer and that's what is that's what the plant is growing from well really are you getting the expression of the vineyard or getting an expression of your fertilizer and and is syrah from a particular soil type and climate here is the microbial profile the same as it would be like somewhere in france where the microclimate and the the varietal are the same and then Mm -hmm. could you take something from france or the, the reverse, and bring it to that other vineyard to sort of tweak the the flavors and aroma. Right. I certainly think people will, will take it that direction. The, like, I, I mean, I, I like, no, no, my no. head is blown right now. I got so many, like, different yeah. tangents that I could go on w- with this research. I think the, the complexity of these systems will protect what people do in their own backyards mm, for a long time. Because I, I don't think... It's it's just incredibly incredibly complicated. And, and then and then does it have or does it affect um, uh, the health of fermentations? You know, I mean, like there are there are vineyards that typically are have problems in fermentation every year. Or something, they stick right? every year, yeah. or they always they always ex- you know have some sort of off aroma that you know maybe you can fix or can't. And and is that all because of this microbiological load on the must? Yeah, um, very well, maybe. Yeah. Um, I love that you know wine is all about like our wine marketing is creating making definitive statements statements and then and then we have the scientists is like yeah that could be <laughs> maybe <laughs> yeah. we'll research it and even when we research it we still won't tell you the answer because we don't know yet yeah right? I, I, mean, I know how little I know <laughs> known then, unknowns and, and then he gets hired he gets hired by Gallo and next thing you know he's in a right. fucking office down in a basement in the Modesto. desert right <laughs> Mad scientists. We don't need we don't need that info coming out. Right. I don't. He's he's not going to leave Sonoma. No we got he's got hooks. Married in. Yeah. yeah he's, he's connected. And actually, our, our so true. Isn't there like a little like a vineyard project that were was that is that a thing that's happening? I remember there is, hearing yeah. about that. Yeah, my family bought a little piece of property up in Glen Ellen, and we're going to plant. Your dad's helping us plant a. A one-acre vineyard there. So. A one-acre vineyard? Yeah. That's in, my dream. In order yeah. to get... You gotta, like... <laughs> oh, you said the right thing in order to get Phil to plant a one-acre vineyard these days. Oh. For sure. I don't Wait, know what you said. I didn't know that. Yeah. Because yeah, it's not like one acre. What is that? How many zeros? <laughs> it's not It's not enough. That you couldn't. It's not a zero situation. <laughs> no, it's, <laughs> it's not... It's, it's do whatever you want. Drop as much fruit as you want. You right. tell me when to pick the wine and <laughs> and I'll show up and pick it up. Well, so, yeah. He, he's waiting for me to... I want to do it very... Uh, as, as you know, have, have the vineyard be in, as, in harmony as much as possible with the place. So I want to do wide spacing so that we can dry farm it and do as much of the planting and farming as I can myself. Um, so he wants me to go high density and 
make it profitable, <laughs> which is smart. <laughs> we get paid per plant. Yeah, yeah. We get uh, per stake. Right. And there's a little there more. You you know? Where's the vineyard at? Or where's the property? So it's just across from the grist mill, yeah. up the hill. Yeah. So there, there were vineyards there about a hundred years ago. Right. Yeah. Up those kind of those driveways. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Cool. So kind of in between there and and uh, at Jack hill. London mm-hmm. vineyard. So, Wait, what are you going to plant? But off of Hill, is it called Hill Boulevard? So yeah. this one's called, it's actually Arnold Drive, but there's a little sign that says Meadow Lane. So okay. it's yeah. south of yeah. Hill. Yeah, 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 I know what that is. The only thing I've decided on thus far is rootstock and, and spacing to... What, is, what do you want to plant? Oh, so many things. More, more, more than I can in an you acre. You got one so. acre, so what do you... And, uh, and with that wine spacing, you only got like 1,500 vines. That's right. So you uh-huh. got to make some choices. Yeah, I do. Um, well, you got to make money, but you want to do something that's, that interests you as well, right? I, I do love Cabernet. I know it's not a... Maybe not the popular answer, but... Right. Um, the style of Cabernet that you're doing, I think, why not? Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Also, I also want to do what's do what's right for the site. So it's a southeast facing hillside that's uh, on clay soils. So potentially some white white varieties mm-hmm. could be really good. Um, but the the number one consideration is water use and sustainability. I want it to be there for as long as it can be. So you know, try to try to plant a hundred year. So year. are there are there varieties that consume less water than others mm-hmm. certainly so that so that's something you could actually like yeah you could actually look into it's like yeah, hey if we if we wanted to dry farm completely these would be the best but is a variety or is it rootstock it's the combination yeah. and, and place right you could put the exact same rootstock in the exact same varietal combination in two different places and right. if the site holds water or not you change how much right. you have to water right it. sure what right, the classic. Forgetting the terms, is it isohydric and what's the other yeah, one? And, iso- and isohydric. Yeah. Okay. Because there's something like just talking amongst themselves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah clearly. <laughs> don't look across the table. We don't know the answer. I mean, there's some varieties that just respond to death. Yeah. When it's hot out. <laughs> Straw, right? Yeah. And there's others that will shut down and stop respiration when it's too hot to they preserve water within the stomata. But yeah, huh. certainly. So we haven't even talked about, I mean, where you work currently. Yeah. As far as over in. Napa, right? I mean, do we have any of those wines? No, unfortunately. We're going to have to get them on. You know what? To get any of those wines. I mean, they don't. It's. They're probably doing fine without any help from us. Well, everybody could use the Winemakers Podcast. (laughs) That's right. Um, (laughs) But I I don't think they use. They don't make a lot of wine. The McDonald labels. What is total case production? Cases? Is it even that much? No, no, no. Probably no it's, not like even. Five, it's like five hundred. Yeah, yeah. Five hundred cases. Well, Very it's small. A small chunk of the vineyard, and it's like these old vines, wide spacing. You know, planted in the fifties. So it's it's not like. Wait, can you can you actually run a business doing five hundred cases and have people working for you? Well, you get Napa prices. You can do it. <laughs> so what are you charging for a bottle of, let's say, most recently release Cab? I think they charge uh, one seventy five per bottle, which is which is which is super reasonable for very reasonable for oldest vines neighborhood. left in Tocqueville yeah. and the Peer Group. Yeah. So do they just Tocqueville have money? Precious. What do you mean? What do you mean? No, 
I mean, they have other jobs. I mean, as, yeah, as, Graham's. They have, he has like a consulting business, but and they've, you know, this family's owned this land for a really long time. So, so it's the, paid for. The economics are different than if you're buying a Napa vineyard, planting a Napa vineyard, right. building a Napa winery, and then having right. to sell a Napa bottle. I, I can yeah. tell at the end of this show, we're gonna. I'm gonna have so many more questions than I had answers. <laughs> Excellent. And we're the hosts. Imagine what the people <laughs> and, and listening I, to this are going to have. I know. <laughs> yeah, so they, they also sell fruit. So um, half has gone to Constellation, Robert Mondavi Winery, for as long as they've owned it. Um, and I think That story is so lovely. Is that the it, one where... Yeah, you guys should really have... Oh, it's really amazing. Because what was it? They Two or three years in, Robert had Graham's uncle in, is that right? And said, we no longer need a contract. Remember everything's right? Yeah. I and so. tore it up in front of him. It's yeah. a handshake deal for like 30 years, and it was always Mondavi's, one of their very best blocks. Yeah. It's like a super special piece of dirt. Yeah, mm. head-trained head uh, Cabernet in, in the heart of Napa. So kind of an uh, amazing Oh, I oddity. know what it was. He signed an invoice right before um, great prices spiked. Yeah, that's what it was. That's exactly what yeah. it was. Yeah, and did right by him. He, he told cool. the story on the Bedrock conversation. Yeah, is that what it is? That's yeah, yeah okay, I've heard yeah. this somewhere. Got to listen to it. If you want an actually informative podcast listening, <laughs> go to that one and then uh, <laughs> then come back here. Right. What do you guys think of the White Hawk? Totally, totally different. Totally yeah. different beast. And these sites and are very close, too. They're not yeah, far apart. Yeah, I mean, aromatically, I mean, um, yeah. still, I mean, both of them beautifully aromatically, but this one's a whole different whole different job whole different it's got that uh, I describe the only way I can describe it is like cherry coffee mm, yeah. Yeah, on the, uh, which is one of my favorite things that yeah. Syrah does mm. um, I guess that like cherry coffee aromatics um, I think of it often as when Viognier has been added to the fermentation oh, interesting. Um, hmm. and just maybe kind of like brings that out a little bit. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's what you, you did here, but it just it's like a class for me, like a classic, great Syrah awesome. flavor profile. It's got that like cherry coffee. Cool. Part of that's probably pH, I would guess, at White Hawk. Yeah, it doesn't have as much calcareous shale as Bianacito does, so it reads as more savory. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's planted on beach sand. It's this hillside. Uh, it's wild. It's a- so this is moving closer to the ocean from. South, actually. I think it's I mean, actually south. further inland. It's slightly south. further inland. So it's theoretically a warmer site, right. but I mean, it's pure sand. There's one piece driving down where it's like you're sliding it's around scary, a little yeah. bit. Yeah. It's <laughs> Wait, so, so it would be phylloxera resistant, perhaps? A lot of stuff down there is actually unrooted, Whitehawk included. Wow. Yeah, it's very sandy. It's funny, whereas in the North Bay, it's kind of defined by volcanics in large part. Santa Barbara County is largely decomposed granitic sands with varying influences of calcareous shale. So is this considered Santa Maria Valley also? No, yeah. technically not, it's actually. I think it's farther south. I think it's one ridgeline too far, pretty sure. Because Santa Maria Valley runs... Yeah, Nacito for sure is. Right, and it runs east-west. Yeah, correct. Right? Yep. There's only... Anderson Valley runs east-west. There's not a lot of valleys yeah, and in California. San Valley, which is Santa Rita Hills, right. are like the two that are most open to ocean influence. That's what they call the, like that transverse range. Right. But this is this is farther south, so it's a different ridge line. Mm-hmm, yeah. Correct. Yeah, it looks down at Los Alamos. So both so both of these wines you have in bottle. No, no, these are barrel samples. These are barrel samples. Oh, these are still barrel so this samples. Is, yeah, this is twenty twenty. Oh my god! So you you're in it for the long haul at this point. <laughs> you're stuck. Yeah, stuck with it. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, he could decide to not buy grapes this year, but I don't. I don't think that's. I don't think that's in his nature. No. <laughs> and this is all. This is all personally funded. You have. Yep. Good for you. Thanks. Yeah. Meaning he's broke. <laughs> now uh, he's yes. Sign up on the on that list because. <laughs> He's got to bottle some grapes next year. Thank you, Sam. Yeah. Yeah. Rich cash for. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I was definitely using some of my scholarship money, which I probably shouldn't say on the radio to buy grapes. When I was in grad it was school. like, go Bernie Sanders. <laughs> nobody, nobody like that listens to this show. Okay. You're, you're safe. <laughs> yeah. It's educational. I don't see the problem. It is. I mean, this is the part you don't... It's pure education <laughs> in schools, having, having to make all the decisions yourself mm-hmm. and That's figure exactly it out. Right. So. And, then having to, and then having to sell it to get the next one going. I mean, yeah. Where do you want to go? Where, we, where, where should we go? Uh, we got a cab, and then the red blend, Syrah mostly. You need glass over there, Tony? Always. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little um, I'll get them when I gotta go. To the so, so this is uh, this would be another cool climate um, vineyard. Yeah, exactly. Which is kind of why I brought it. I was saying that our wine making has been very influenced by reeds. So this is the first year we were able to use all that. This is the 2019 Leho Hill Cab, which I think, as far as I know, is still the only Cabernet planted in the Petaluma Gap. Yeah. Technically, it's Sonoma Coast, but doesn't feel like it, so we don't call it that. Uh, it's up on. It's above Pengrove on the west-facing side of Sonoma Mountain, up at, I don't know, 1,000, 1,200 feet probably. It's basically just far enough above the fog line to actually ripen. I mean, so, I know where Lehow is, but what I don't remember is where Gravity Hill is. Just bef- so Lehow's before it. Lehow is before Yeah, there's a little, Hill. like, side driveway that heads straight uphill before you turn left towards Gravity Hill. Okay. It's up there. Is that that spot with, like, an anti-gravity... Yeah, you yeah. think you're. You think you're. You, th- look, you can like put your car in r- neutral. If you went feels, to Casa Grande, you know. It feels like exactly. Going uphill. You're rolling uphill. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Local secret. Yeah. Uh, but so we picked this usually the second or third week in October at 24 ish. I mean, it takes a long time to get there, <laughs> which was a problem in 2020 because it didn't get there. But it's. I mean, it's. I love it. It's very rocky. It feels like a mountain site. Um, but with a coastal influence. I think it's super cool. So in any case, in the 18, we used 33% new oak and didn't rack and bottled after 15 months. And this is similar. We did 40% new oak, bottled after 15 months, but racked once oxidatively, Um, which was not my instinct because we don't do as much of that at Bedrock. And as far as cab goes, and I come from a Syrah background in Burgundy per se, which is less common. But for cab, I think it's super cool it's very delicious. red fruited it has that like same top floral note thing that it's not dissimilar from Reed's Moon Ridge there's some yeah. like similarity there right. even though they're one mountain top apart it's basically over Sonoma Valley but I mean again definitely varietal and definitely you can tell it's if, if you under if, you, if you've drank enough cab it's cool climate Cabernet um, but n- no pyrazines at all, like no. No, it was shocking to me too. You know? I wanted them so bad. Right. <laughs> <laughs> looking no for looking for just a little bit of jolly green. I wanted giant. just. I mean, you can like it's very floral. It reminds me of like halfway between, say Chinon and the right bank. Mm. But yeah, I thought we'd have like beautiful pyrazines to work out. And there's it's I don't, for whatever reason it's not the site. Which what are you gonna do? But I, I mean, it's awesome. I mean, there's a little bit of mint there. Mm-hmm. It, it's um. 
for me, just it, it's because ripeness and sugar are not the same thing. Right. Right? Yep. You know, you probably, when this has pyrazines, you couldn't get it to ferment. Oh, yeah. No, right? it's you know what I mean? wicked green if, at like 21 if, bricks. Exactly. Um, and that th- probably took three weeks to get from 21 to 24. For sure. And even though, you know, if you you couldn't get it to 28, but if you had picked it at 24 on another vineyard that doesn't get, you know, that gets to 24 way faster, mm-hmm. that's Certainly. when you get you get those green flavors, right? Yeah, so that. So find a spot like this where, you know, you pick it in the end of October at 24 and you're going to have what are, you know, classically ripe flavors, even though it's, you know... Label 14, I think it's 14.2, if I remember right, or something like that. Yeah, it's kind of an odd sight in that it's very, very rocky, and yet it still throws a pretty decent crop, so they have to work pretty hard to get it down to, like, three, three and a half tons to the acre, drop quite a bit of fruit. But the nice thing is, like, that crop level is both economical and it holds back ripeness. It'll, like, get it into a really, really beautiful window of, like, very regular marine influence. Uh, But because of that, so also in the 19, we sanyed. 15%, 15%, which I'd never done before. Super happy with it. Like, the site is not naturally very tannic, and I like that we were able to push a little bit of that concentration on the palate and then worked around that off. And, and you for, could you know, sell that large. juice to Morgan for yeah. your bang or something? <laughs> that was intern. Uh, <laughs> I think we gave every intern 15 <laughs> gallons and a keg of rosé. Oh, that's so <laughs> and fun. Everybody fermented it differently. It was cool. That's super cool. So, so you sonnied it. You didn't need a water addition. No. And so you just sonnied it to, to get a little more concentration. Mm-hmm. 19 especially was a fairly generous. The berries sized up pretty well. There was quite a bit of fruit out there. We put a lot on the ground. But, yeah, it seemed like it was maybe the right year to try it. Yeah. Yeah. Delicious. Yeah. I'm very happy with that. So then I brought one last wine, which is kind of our newest wine, and hopefully at some point one of the more important wines we make. This is our Winds of Change red wine. Yeah. Available at the Fairmont. Yeah, Ryan's got it. Uh, so this is a red blend led by Syrah. Um, and it's kind of, I mean, market testing ways to explain this. It's a little bit of whatever, everything that I think is kind of exciting and compelling in California for me right now. So it's mostly, obviously, a blend of all of our vineyard designates. And a lot of the sites we choose tend to be fairly windy. We don't have a ton of limestone in California. I really like wines from vines grown on limestone in France. One of our better influences, even though we don't have that to suppress the pH, is actually wind. Um, The vine's response to wind, especially if it's over eight miles an hour, regularly in the literature, is just to shut down respiration. It'll stop respiring to preserve water, otherwise it loses water too quickly and it'll blow through its reserve. Um, But because of that, the pHs tend to stay relatively low, or low relative to other vineyards that aren't as windy, regardless of the heat of the vineyard. So Contra Costa is a great example where it picks out, it buds really early, it picks out really early. It's really windy and they are our lowest pHs across the board in the winery. We're talking like 3.5, 3.6 finished. It can be a challenge sometimes to get them through ML. Uh, and even though it's a fairly warm site, the wine's reed is really bright and fresh and vibrant. And I thought that was super cool and we have lots of spots like that in California. We've got the Petaluma Gap, Templeton Gap obviously in Paso, and then a lot of Santa Barbara County is very we talk about marine influence and usually we think of that as a function of the temperature but the wind is also really critical in that no i'm i'm thinking about all the moon mountain district sites uh you know top of the mountain 
it's it's always windy up there. Totally. Um, and that's something that winemakers experience all the time with with Moon Mountain District. Um, that even at you know sugar ripe, you know crazy ripe numbers, twenty eight, twenty nine, thirty. Um, you still have like you're barely squeaking the pH into the three twos, mm-hmm. um, and it's something that I always uh, have often attributed to soil and volcanic soils doing that. Right. Um, but I hadn't thought about the wind element, and you know, you actually have like specific numbers, eight miles an hour, and all these things. <laughs> which, whether or not it's real, I have to believe you. Uh, <laughs> but I, that totally explains so much of of, of Moon Mountain District right. yeah, no. um, being it's... these, you know, ripe. But also, you know, acid-driven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's one of the threads between our wines. This is a blend of a couple of different Syrah sites. Griffin's Lair, obviously, one in Bennett Valley we played with in 2019. There's a little bit of Shake Ridge. And then the other thing that I think is really cool, like a lot of what we do for Desire Lines, is tends to be older plantings of Rhone varieties. Um, Aved, Carignan, Grenache, Petite Syrah, stuff like that. So that's um, the rest of Winds of Change, was trying to find a way to make the Syrah we have on hand a little friendlier, drink a little younger and sort of bring people into what, where we think the Syrahs as vineyard designates will go. Um, I don't right. know, it's just a fun blend to make. Like, we don't get a blend a lot for Desire Lines because a lot of our stuff is, if not single barrel, for sure, single vineyard from a single block, single pick, stuff like that. Yeah. And I like blending. Having the opportunity to do it was very fun. And the finish is so satisfying. Yeah. <clears throat> it's, like, normally I think of that in terms of making me drool, but it, not in... Not on this wine. It just—it's got that really nice, long, satisfying finish. Cody, how many cases of this did you make? This is actually, I think, 250. If I remember right, it's by far the biggest wine we've ever made. Um, just kind of hoping to put it out there a little more. It'll be in Iowa and Minnesota and <laughs> New York. We think too within the next couple months, which is super exciting. Kind of blows my mind. It's super exciting. But and it's Syrah too, which I think is important. Like there's been amazing Syrah producers in California, and it's never really taken off. And it probably never will, because <laughs> it feels like every five years we're like, Syrah's going to go big. But I love that we can put it out there and have something hopefully that a lot of people have a good experience with. And was there a 2018 Winds of Change? No, this is the first this year. Is the first one. first okay. one we've ever done. Uh, there will be a 2020, thankfully, which I'm really excited about. We got quite a bit from Santa Barbara County, where they had very little smoke exposure. Um, and that'll be the bulk of it. It'll be very cool. I think it totally hits the marks that you're going for as far as drinkability and still like awesome. intriguing and stylistically desire lines. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, probably what's the is the price point? Is it like price point? For, not that like all those desire line wines <laughs> break in the bank. <laughs> yeah, they're killing. But I think it's twenty two the list. Okay, twenty five, twenty seven in retail where you can find it. It's still primarily mailing list is the best place to get it. But yeah, it's priced to be hopefully something that people can pull open on a Tuesday or Wednesday night. We do, certainly. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really thrilled. Awesome. Fantastic. Yeah, fun. The winds of change. Mm-hmm. Is there a little, like, are you also proselytizing maybe these varieties as things that can survive some of the... A little bit. Of the change, the winds of change that are in the climate these days? Or Yes, that- the name actually was supposed to be, like, both figuratively well so literally the windy places but also figuratively like we'd like to see these vineyards become more popular frankly if the fruit got more expensive we'd have done our job really well right Right? because like the fact that we can buy this stuff for what we can is kind of (laughs) ridiculous 
So trying to work ourselves out of a problem. Again, talk about walking honest. walking fine lines, right? You're like, well, yeah. we want these to be popular, but not so popular that we can't so afford them anymore. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's the game we play. Yep. That, that Moon Mountain District fruit and whatever here. All right, so Cody, new releases. What's coming out? What's, yeah, a couple what's going months, on? late September, if I remember right. Okay. Well, actually, I have five wines the first time, which is mildly terrifying. Uh, it'll be Evangelo from 2020, the red wine, which is the old vine Carignan Maved. And the 2019 Shake Ridge Syrah, which I'm super happy with. That's our fourth year with the vineyard. And then three whites, actually, all of which are. No, two of which are new. So it's Cole Ranch, obviously, the 2020 Riesling, which is awesome. Uh, Shake Ridge Viognier which is a one-off for now, but really exciting. We found out Friday night, I forget which date, last year during harvest, that uh, the fruit was suddenly available due to concerns over smoke taint, and the vineyard had seen like a couple hours of very moderate smoke, and Anne was kind of freaked, and I was like, we'll take the fruit, and Em and I like grabbed Cal, hopped in the truck, drove up, picked it the next morning, brought it back, picked, pressed it super carefully, and it's beautiful, and sent it to Australia, and the numbers are all zeros basically across the board. Uh, very, we have 24 cases of it because we like... 20, yeah. Wait, did you say 24 cases? 24, yeah. Not to like throw some unnamed winemaker under the barrel here, but under the bus barrel. I like mm-hmm. under uh, the barrel. Under the barrel. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just as long as it's not under the wire. It's a new term. Um, <laughs> it'll really be in trouble. Um, Patent pending, trademark. Yeah, seriously. Um, somebody yeah. who said they're not taking their w- w- half a ton of Viognier in 2020 because they're worried about smoke. Um, that was a economic decision because your the whole idea was like white grapes were were making white wines and rosés because the smoke is in the right. skins we thought it would be lower With, risk yeah yeah for us yeah. it was a chance to play and just to do Anna solid cuz i yeah. think everybody's all over the board on what they right. thought would happen last yeah. year and it's the best i love we'd gotten the fruit previously for bedrock from a different block of viognier uh, the one that we made and bottled for desire lines is the only block of viognier on the front ranch, the slightly older planting. It's beautiful. They have these really cool swales in the vineyard where if you walk them at night, as all the cold air drains out of the crest of the Sierra, you'll drop like 30 degrees over the span of 30 or 40 vines going from like ridge to swale. Crazy. Just chilly as. So like really, you get like these really ripe flavors off the tops of the ridges and the Viena rose and then like really like lemongrass, citrusy stuff out of the bottom. It's really interesting. It's the rare Viena site that like actually has cut. I mean, it's still rich. It's like very intense, but it still has acidity, which is cool. Hmm. So that, and then Kick Ranch Sauvignon Blanc will be our other wine, uh, which is a block that I'd walked way back in 2012 with Morgan, because we used to get it for Bedrock, and hadn't gotten the fruit in a couple of years, and I was able to get two tons last year for Desire Lines, and it's I love it. It's really cool. So sign up for the uh, Desire Lines yeah, coming up, mailing list. DesireLinesWines.com, yeah. release third week in September. I mean, wh- when do you get the opportunity to honestly to buy wines like that where someone's making seriously 24 cases yeah we got 40 percent in the free run it was wild right we threw in the press drained it out squeezed it drained it out all the press tank and then took like the heart of the cuvee into the free run just to be sure all the numbers actually looked fine we ran it just to be sure but i think because of that too there's so little skin contact that the acidity is particularly crisp on it it was fun but yeah we made none of it just very little wine The economics of that mm-hmm. are pretty tough. <laughs> so yeah. Doing a little yeah. mental math. It's a break even. Yeah. yeah. That was well, and you, your relationship with with Ant, you worked a, 
Year? No, Corbin did actually. No, but Anna's right one of my favorite people you in the just world. Didn't go up there I a wish. Lot. Okay, it was Corbin yeah. who was up there for a year. No, she's been super sweet. Like, she's got a guest house up there for folks that get the fruit. We'll get up there and have dinner. She knows Emma and Cal super well. She's amazing. First ballot Hall of Fame grower for sure. She's incredible. Yeah, one day we'll get her on the show. Yeah. No, we'll she'd probably be great. have to go up there. Yeah. yeah. I've never, I've never actually, I've never actually been there. So that's really cool. She's sharp. Yeah, she's yeah, really cool. She's amazing. All right, guys, let's. Wrap it up. You guys want to give contact info for people if they want to get a hold of the wines, number one. Sure, yeah. Um, you can sign up for the mailing list at tidingswine.com, or I also have an Instagram page with, with no photos on it yet, tidings <laughs> underscore wine. Do you, do you think maybe... Oh, also, or did I just... I think <laughs> maybe. Thank you. <laughs> God damn it. Control. Did you Did you take a picture today of you on the podcast that maybe you could add to I did to not know that's a good idea. Not that I'm... You know, went to school for marketing or anything, but thinking maybe <laughs> that that might be a good start. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we're at Desire Lines Wines. You can email Emily or Cody at DesireLinesWines.com. Email Emily. It's us. Email Emily. Yeah, she gets it done for sure. Yeah. Cal's not taken. Not yet. Doesn't have email yet. No, he's obsessed with barrels and grapes, though. Largely thanks to Sam, actually, a little like barrel truck. He loves them. I gotta get, I gotta find more. The the company that made those figured out it was cool and the price has gone way what? up on those little barrel oh. trucks but i bought you know we bought six or eight of them as like the gift for the winemaker babies yeah uh, and now so i gotta, cool. gotta restock <laughs> my little barrel trucks i go home it's dada you make wine today put wine on a barrel put wine on a truck thank you buddy no i did paperwork <laughs> did some excels <laughs> sent in some forms to the now. ttv so pivot tables yeah <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, so Reed, you got 112 followers right now. We'll see. Uh, we'll see if we want the bump. Uh, uh, we'll, thank you guys. It'll take a week, um, and yeah. then. But he, you got to have some pictures up by the time they hear this on Friday. Yeah, working on it. Yeah. <laughs> no, but thank you guys so much for having me. On. Yeah, no chicks in bikinis hanging out at the pool drinking your wine. Like real photos of, you know, real people. Just grapes you know. and dirt. We'll scare something up. There you go. <laughs> yeah. <All right>. exactly. <laughs> And hey, send some bottles to uh, to MJ. Let's get a shout out to uh, um, yeah. to MJ Tyler, uh, black wine the guy. Black and, wine guy experience. Right. He's he's oh, yeah. he's great. Yeah, yeah. Send him a few bottles and cool. and let him try some stuff. He and, loves good wine. Yeah. And, and also like, just continues to drop rock star uh, episodes every week. Mm-hmm. Yep. So if you're not following along, um, what it, it, and you've been listening to this podcast for over a year. What the hell are you doing? So, yeah. Cody, Cody had a nice shout out on one of MJ's. Uh, yeah, with Robert Dentis. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. yeah. No, he's an incredible advocate for Riesling. Oh, nice. Yeah. All right, guys. Anything else? I don't know. I have an event, but I guess the uh, the event will be if you haven't already RSVP'd and you're not a member by the time you listen to this, it's probably too late. Oh, but Stanley Mouse. Stanley Mouse here on yep. Sunday. Um, we got our our new employee Marty O'Reilly, who's working in the tasting room. No, really. Um, I've oh, talked man. him into also he's gonna be like working the party and um, I'm making him put a guitar in his hand. Seriously, do you know? Do you oh, know so again. so ja- is that the guy that Jasmine brought to the Fairmont? Yeah. So so he shows up and um, Royal Jelly Jive is playing right. at, at the Fairmont out front. It was a Friday or Saturday night, and Jasmine's like, "Yeah, this guy's working in the tasting house." Next thing I know, he's, he's like up stage. out of his chair, <laughs> and he's up on stage with him. Now he's um, a, oh, he's, he's way too talented to be working for me, but don't tell him. Hopefully, he doesn't. <laughs> he's not <laughs> listening. Awesome. Oh, man. No, that was great. All right. 
You guys, if you got any questions, I don't know. Thank you all. If it's you have any pleasure. questions, clearly direct them to Cody or Reed to, because right. they'll give you a real answer. Yeah. <laughs> we don't know anything. Yeah. Yeah. If you got some questions about microbials, right. please do not tell us. <laughs> <laughs> got nothing. Uh, we got nothing for you. I thought we were going to come out sounding smart after this, but yeah, no. the smart thing we not do today. is we have these guys on the show. <laughs> uh, yeah, ask right. the right questions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> remains to be seen, but uh, no, it's, it's been it's been great having you guys on, and uh, you know, thank you so much. Excited to Why see you. Thank all you. the stuff that you. uh, you're working on, both science wise and wine wise, and uh, excited to be part of yeah, the, no, part great, of the journey. You already know I like your wine, but if, if appreciate it, uh, can't wait till you get labels. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hurry up! Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, love to represent. So, all right, you guys, this has been the winemakers. Uh, check us out subscribe, on all the, review uh, old episodes. Apple, Hulu, Julu. <laughs> <laughs> you're on. You're on Julu, right? <laughs> Oh, hopefully you didn't listen all the way to the end. Thanks for listening. <laughs> yep. Not too long this time. I guess we went a little too long with uh, Jen and Sarah. We had according a little, to who? Uh, according to someone. Uh, the dirty, dirty wine glass guy. Dirty Who's who gave us? Guy. Somebody gave us crap for having too much content. Yeah, I'm sorry that you can't listen for an hour and, and a half. And honestly, like we couldn't get a word in edgewise with Sarah and Jen talking, <laughs> so we're just happy right. that they stopped eventually, so we could turn the mics off. <laughs> but but that's true. But we made, or well, you made, and the podcast made wine berserkers. Oh, that's right. Well, that was. I don't uh, know if that was a good was thing a, or not. Uh, definitely not. Uh, I did. It did. It did inspire me to to resubscribe and pay them money. Uh, but yeah, there was a uh, wine berserkers got um, somebody got a hold of the Christophe Tassan episode talking about uh, smoke as a, a feature, not a flaw. Right. Um, that was cool. And which was you know Christophe's. Uh, go back and listen to the episode. Um, but I'm not sure that the wine berserkers bought into it. We'll see. They're also, you know, not buying limited allocated Moon Mountain District Grenache, so I don't think it really matters. But, um, yeah, you know, we made it to wine berserkers, so we're big time now. Yeah, and we'll see if something <laughs> comes out of the. We'll see if any comes back out of these comments also. Yeah, the people on wine berserkers will continue not to buy my wine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this has been the winemakers. We'll look forward to talking to you next week. Thank you guys. Thank, Thank you. you.